Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Let's Settle with Ed Cunningham, a show at the intersection of sports, sports media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the host and executive producer, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with two close friends and collaborators, Sam Farmer, who is in the NFL's Hall of Fame as a contributor and writes for the LA Times covering the NFL, and Jeff Chidea. He won an Emmy at ESPN and now is a reporter on the NFL Network and for NFL.com. We talk about their work as beat reporters covering the league, how digital and social media have changed their jobs, and the reason for picking a story and the responsibilities that come with that choice. This is Covering the NFL with Sam Farmer and Jeff Chidea. If I can take you back a little bit, this is uh, 1996. Um, Jeff and I were both new beat writers on uh, the Oakland Raiders beat. The Raiders had mm-hmm. moved the year before from mm-hmm. uh, Los Angeles to Oakland. And and I rolled up to training camp in Napa. Jeff was already there. And uh, I got and- out of my car and introduced myself to Jeff and I said, I'm Sam Farmer. He said, yeah, I figured. And I thought, wow, my reputation precedes me. I said, I'm from the Mercury News. He goes, oh yeah, I know that. And then I turned around and noticed that I was driving a Mercury News car, which was a, a Ford Escort or something. Painted it was a up company Mercury- car? Company car. Your local was- paper in San Jose had uh, a company car in 1996. Had a- Fat times, yeah, dude. We- yeah, we had a company car, and it was painted up with the. Mer- it was a silver car with the Mercury News logo, the blue and green Mercury News logo, and I realized I was driving a Seahawks helmet up to Raiders camp. I mean, it's <laughs> ridiculous, Jeff. So it's not like Jeff uh, would recognize me for any other reason except that I had Mercury News you had mustard on your face. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> In a but, town that uh, didn't like mustard on their hot dogs. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we'll get. I want to get so, into some Raider stuff. I interviewed Lincoln Kennedy, um, who was a, former, a teammate in college, which we'll get to yeah. Sam here in a little bit. Um, but in what you guys do in the NFL, and Jeff, you work for the NFL. They are your boss. Sam, you work for an independent news organization. Quite yes. different jobs you have. Uh, but you have to do the same thing. W- what are the differences, do you think, Jeff, you've worked at Sports Illustrated. You've worked at ESPN, which is a hybrid entertainment, and they're involved with the leagues. They own networks with leagues and universities. So um, ESPN was probably a one-foot journalism. The other side, you know, they're in business with these leagues. Now you're deeply in business with, these, with the league, the NFL. What changes? How do you do your job differently? What do you have to be aware of? Who do you have to talk to? That you well, would have well, to at the LA Times. Yeah, well, I think Sam would, would probably attest to this that you know the business has changed so much over the last twenty years that being a National Football League beat writer in 1999 was totally different than what it is in, in 2021. And, and wow. so, and so, I think what's changed a lot is that, as you just mentioned, like the, the, the business has kind of morphed into the into more of a you are partners with the leagues in a lot of different right. ways, and you saw that a lot at ESPN where, you know, you just can go out there and be completely objective and write what you wanted to write because, you know, if, you know, there were some old jokes about uh, David Stern and how much time he spent at the ESPN offices back when he was running the NBA. He almost had his, you know, his own cubicle, 
<laughs> that he was up there so much. And so that certainly applies to what happens in the NFL as well. doesn't mean that you can't have your own opinions and you can't report um, honestly on what's happening, but the, the way you choose stories, the way you go about doing stuff is totally different. I mean, and I think that's one reason why I became more comfortable with going to the NFL because I saw a lot of that. When I was at Sports Illustrated, it used to be, oh, we'll do what we want. Then it became, oh, if we're going to do this story on this particular athlete, he has to be on the cover. We have to negotiate with his agent to get him to do it. I'll go back to the very early days of sports writing when sports writers wrote from the press box and never went down to the locker room. And uh, and only uh, it was almost a novel thing when that started about talking to the players after a game. Well, we've progressed to the point now where players have their own voice through social media and mm. uh, access has been increasingly limited, decreasingly available. And I really um, thank my lucky stars that I came into the business and Jeff came into the business at a time when you could really build those relationships because there are so many layers now to getting to players and executives and they have their mm. own personal representatives um, a lot of sort of centuries uh, to getting to them. So to be able to have built those relationships with people years and years ago and call on those now is especially important because access in the age of COVID is right. even worse. I mean, yeah. if you're a writer covering a game last year, you would have to share a Zoom call with every competitor you have. And it became like a cooking show where they present you with 10 ingredients and you have to make the best souffle. Yeah. Uh, so it became a writing contest uh, as opposed to uh, being able to culti cultivate right. your own relationships. And I mean, one right. of the things that one of the reasons why Jeff took off like a rocket in his career is not only his writing, but he was able to build those relationships very quickly with executives and with coaches and with insiders on the Raiders, which was a particularly closed off organization mm -hmm. and broke stories like crazy. I, I would say it was 1997 was one of the greatest years I've ever seen a beat writer have. And that was for, the year on, that for Jeff, Jeff covering the Raiders, covering, covering the Raiders for the San Francisco Examiner. He and what breaking. what were the he stories? Was, what were the things? It was a horror show to compete against. I mean, <laughs> it was it was everything from um, you know team revolts and mutinies to stuff that went on at practice to guys who were fired and why they were fired and these insider stories. Everything mm. from Al Davis um, when they moved to Napa. He put up all these screens on the fences so nobody could look in on his team, which had just lost the last six games of the regular season to finish eight and eight. And then Jeff found out that Al was upset at the end of training camp that no one was trying to peer in. That <laughs> <laughs> no one cared. And Jeff's, Jeff's approach, uh, if I may, Jeff, was – not only um, did he have the inside information, but he was unflinchingly fearless in reporting it. Mm. And I remember that the Raiders played the Chiefs. It was the first home game of the season. It was a Monday night game. Um, and the Chiefs broke the Raiders' heart 
on the last play of the game when Elvis Gerback hit Andre Risen for a touchdown. And the Raiders lost their first game, so now they're 0-2. It was Joe Bugles, uh, 1997, Joe Bugles' one and only season as head coach of the team. And you played for Joe Bugle. I did, Jeff. I don't know if you know, but I played for Joe. I remember, yeah, in the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll get into that and, in a minute. Then. Sam, you just opened up like an hour show, which <laughs> yeah. is fine. We come back and finish the rest of the script later. I, this I is remember good Jeff's, Jeff had a line in his column that Joe Bugle, who never appeared, he he went into the locker room, locked himself in the coach's office. Now we're all, all on tight deadline and we've got to get our stories in. He's locked in the office. He opened the back doors of the locker room, let all the players out. And only- <laughs> Which is against the rules, just to be yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah. Against NFL the, rules. Yeah, right. yeah, right. They need to talk to the media. Yeah, they do, yeah. The it was in our contracts, yeah. Um, and then Joe shoved out, I believe it was Tim Brown and Albert Lewis, one representing, one stand-up guy representing the offense, one representing the defense. And Jeff excoriated This is week Joe two? Bugle. This is week two? This is week, week two. two. Wow. And, and remember, we're all trying to build relationships. And Jeff had a column in his game story, actually, that he said Joe Bugle hid like a, a child who would wet his pants. <sighs> And <laughs> and I remember coming back to the uh, team the next day, and we were all angry, but Jeff was particularly in, incensed. And Jeff, having played college football at Wyoming before he transferred to Michigan, uh, was a big guy, in-shape guy, and, and uh, we squared – Joe Bugle, who was sort of passive-aggressive and wouldn't really approach – You think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember in that post-game or, or post-practice huddle as we were all interviewing him, Jeff said, I, we don't like being lied to. And Joe said, by who? And Jeff said, by you, Joe. And then there was a five-second moment of tension where nobody said anything. And then Joe said, are you going to punch me? Because <laughs> 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 Jeff's... Jeff's Posture was in a, it was one where he might have thrown a punch. And so that and was, Jeff, you are a serious looking dude. I got to say, yeah. you, you come across more as a strong safety or even linebacker yeah. than a, a receiver. So you're in that season, Jeff. You've played the game. Players probably respect you because you ask real legitimate questions, not even asking for sources, but how, what work did you do? And, and you know, there is some blowback. Maybe they slammed the door. Again, we're talking about our our own personal. Why are we telling this story, right? So, why did Jeff kick that door in, and what did you do to to help share the stories? Well, I, I think that the big thing that Sam has, has been very gracious talking about me, but that was a great group of beat writers to start covering pro football with. Where it was Sam? So that was your Ron first Cortes gig, Sam My first major gig. I just moved there from Ann Arbor, Michigan, so mm. I was first time in a big market. Mm. And so I really felt like I had to come in and compete against guys who were super talented and all young and, and, and motivated. So it was really like everything I knew I had to do in that in those first couple of years was to establish myself. And I got lucky. One thing I did early on was I um, I used to come to the games really early and get breakfast and try to read up on people in the press guide to try to have conversations. And there was a guy 
um, who I met. I, I don't mind saying his name now. His name is Bill Urbanic, and Sam's really good friend with him mm-hmm. as well, um, who was working for Al Davis. He had been, um, you know, with the team for a long time as a coach and executive, and he was close to Al. And so um, I started talking to him one, one day. It was at, at a Seattle Seahawks game early on. We just had a good conversation. He went to Ohio State. I went to mm-hmm. Michigan, so we joke about that. And I got to know him a little bit, and then – Towards the end of that first season, the 96 season, actually, when Mike White was the coach and there were rumors about him getting fired, I just called Bill up at his office and just said, hey, Bill, like, are you hearing anything? And and Sam knows how Bill talks and <laughs> he's kind of a real gruff guy. And he says, look, I was I was having uh, – there's only one guy in the building who gets to have a Coke with Al, a Diet Coke in the morning and a, and a bagel, and it's, I'm that guy. And so I, every time we get up in the morning and we meet up and talk, and I can tell you that – uh, you know, the other day he said, yeah, Mike White, I, th- I think he's done. Mm. And I said, are you sure about this? And he said, yeah, you can write it. Mm. And I said, Bill, I, I got to be sure about this because, you know, there's rumors out there. This is my first big story. He's like, go ahead and write it. And so I went ahead and wrote it. And it was uh, the Niners were actually, you know, still pretty good back then at Steve Young and Jerry Rice. And they were playing a Monday night game. And I was actually going home for Christmas vacation. So we wrote the story and it ran on Monday afternoon. And someone told me from our uh, our columnist, Gwen Knapp, told me that Ira Miller, who was a longtime NFL writer for the for the San Francisco Chronicle, had seen the story. And he was like, nobody knows what Al Davis is going to do except mm. Al Davis. I don't believe a, a word of this story. And then I got on the plane uh, the next morning, on a Tuesday morning, and the time the plane landed, mm. he was fired. And my boss called me up, and he was just ecstatic. And so Bill, you know, helped me get a lot of stories and get me started. And I think I realized at that point that once you actually become somebody who can break stories, more people will start talking to you and giving you stuff. But I, I think about a year after that story happened, in that year that Sam just described, I, I was talking to Bill one day, and I said, Bill, Bill you know, uh, I really appreciate all you've done for me. You've really helped me out with a lot of stuff. And he said, you know why I talked to you? And I said, why? He said, because you're the only guy, only reporter in this whole press corps who ever treated me like mm. I was a human being. Like everybody else like walked right past me. And I think Sam obviously was, was was becoming friendly with him at that point. But everybody else just ignored me, didn't think I was worth anything. And you you always talked to me. And I was that, that taught me a, a valuable lesson about reporting and building relationships and i've never ever since that point taken anybody for granted in an organization in a locker room like anybody in there can help you out with what you want yeah, to do yeah and, and it wasn't just bill though because i got to tell a story about about jeff jeff and i lived together at yeah. training camp we had a condo about three miles south of the facility in napa that we shared and uh often we would drive to camp together and uh, so it was a Thursday afternoon, nothing was going on. It's late in camp. These are the dog days and you just r- really have to write a story to, to fill the hole in the newspaper. So I write my kicker story or whatever. And Jeff typically is sort of lingering around the facility. Uh, now this is the outdoor playing fields. And by the way, just that. really quick drop in the, yeah. uh, docu series following beat writers, would either yeah. be a smash hit or a train wreck with what you're describing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Come on. Exactly. laughs> Sam, you were so keeping tabs on, yeah. on what he was doing. Like, yeah. oh, hey, oh, he's yeah. got his notepad out. Who's wait, he's talking to the equipment guy? But I was more yeah. concerned about just leaving because I was done with my story. I <laughs> found my story and I figured Jeff was just shopping around. 
And he said, no, I just have to talk to a couple more people. And Jeff will remember this. And um, he sidled up to Andre Bruce, the former number one overall pick, Andre Bruce, who was a human megaphone. You know, one of these guys who was the loudest guy in the locker room, would shout things, was always sort of attracting the spotlight. And Jeff is kind of a low talker. And, you know, he, he, he's soft, softly talking to Andre as they're walking off the field. And Jeff had motioned to me, just give me a couple more minutes. Again, we're the last two beat writers there. And Andre steps back incredulous from Jeff and he says, what? And he says, hey, Jet. And he yells to James Jet and he said, this guy says that Pat Swilling just quit the team. <laughs> and, you, and you can see Jeff, Jeff trying to physically trying to tamp down, tamp down his voice. <laughs> like, wait, wait. So I, turn for I, a I fact heard, check I, in the moment. The, yeah, the little, the little bing went off in my head, and I thought, you know, maybe I won't write about the kicker tomorrow. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll now kick it into you. So, Wait, so, so, so Jeff, was that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was quitting the team. He quit. Yeah, he was so frustrated. He left, he left the team. And, and he was like a superstar. To... He was our defensive yeah. superstar. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and you exactly got it in it. that moment. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I, for, for a brief second. For, like, it was like 12. Yeah, oh, after you screamed had, it to the whole world. Exactly. And he happened to scream it right to me. That Did you still get to break the, the story in the paper uh, when you were first to report? Yeah, <laughs> no, but that's what we all had it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andre. Yeah, because yeah, that was an afternoon paper. Our paper had come out already, so it would have been that morning. So it's so funny to it. talk about that, guys, because, uh, you know, you work in modern media now. So you, you know, just think of a 20 year old right now listening to you talk about how you had to file those stories and all that. Cause oh, yeah. you do it all through your phone and, and your computer now, right? Just on the fly. Everything's got to go up. I mean, unless it's time to something. Hey, you you email it. it. Yeah. 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 Or, or no, you, you push stuff out on, on Twitter, I'm sure, uh, as well. Yeah. Right. Just the cruel, the cruel irony of this was Jeff got beat on his own story because the Mercury News had it the next morning. And Jeff had the story that afternoon because they had an uh, afternoon paper. So but you it filed it at the same Jeff. time, Jeff? Yeah. You think? Yeah, oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We filed in the morning, but it was that's still funny. like, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. So that's how it worked. But no, you're right. And that's another example of how much the world has changed in terms of just the dynamics of the business. Uh, it's a totally different game now than it was two decades ago. There's something else, uh, Ed, I will say, and that is that press boxes are now like libraries. They used to be a little more convivial and people talking back and forth and people telling jokes. And Jeff and I have, have lots of memories uh, of people making funny comments. Uh, um, you know, I'm thinking of Chuck Nevius when, uh, from the San Francisco Chronicle when Ricky Dudley <laughs> dropped his third touchdown pass in the end zone and he was the first-round pick of the Raiders. And, and Al was sitting right behind us and Chuck Nevius leaned back and said, will somebody check if his hands are screwed on backward? <laughs> but but press boxes are much different now because people save that stuff for Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, there's no yeah. communication between reporters like the old days because you're tweeting it. And you save your best lines. Well, you're also, uh, when you're covering uh, an event, 
now, you have to both watch the game, watch Twitter. You know, if, if something's trending or something happens, you have to know what's going on. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's changed quite a bit. And, and but, we were much different, too. I mean, back then, the reporters were not at all part of the story. There was no brand, no personal right, brand. Right, so right. now you'll read on Twitter, so-and-so said this in the press box. Usually, that used to be, um, you know, sacred. sort of the sacred cow. Right. Yeah, right. you couldn't. It was a sanctuary. You could say whatever you wanted and joke about whatever you wanted, and it wasn't going to wind up on Twitter. Now, we, for better or worse, have been thrust out to the fore, and now there are personalities who are media representatives. Yeah, of course. And, Jeff, you, you straddled that line because you're um... – you are on a – you've got a big brand in front of you. You're good at what you do. You're unique. You know, you played the game. You're black. Um, you know, is there – you want to grow your brand? How many followers do you have? Do you want more as you look at this media landscape? Because we can all laugh at, oh, they've got 500,000 followers. That's cash money. That's That's take your brand, take your voice, go somewhere else, which you could do because of what you do. And you wouldn't leave a place because, you know, you burn a bridge, you know. But do you think about that? And have you thought about could you grow a million people, two million people and have your own audience? Yeah, you, know, you think about it. And certainly there's people at our, at our, at our network and I'm sure with L.A. Times who give you a lot of advice on, on working with social media. I, I am openly bad with social media. I, I don't tweet as much as I should. I'm not on Instagram much as, I should, as much as I should be. And I think I just I haven't really adopted that that sensibility of something's happening. I need to put it on my my platform first. One thing I think Sam would agree with this with me on this. That's also changed about the business is that when you are reporting stories now, you can be challenged more by people within social media who think they know what's going on more right, than right. you might. Yeah. There was a story uh, last year or two years ago where Jalen Ramsey wanted to get out of Jacksonville. And I literally was talking to two of the main people involved in the possibility of him leaving Jacksonville, both of whom were saying uh, the Chiefs aren't interested for, for this reason, that reason. I reported it actually on Twitter. And the local uh, talk radio station was saying, Jeff Chitty is reporting this, but there's this guy out in Pittsburgh who <laughs> used to work as a PA in Fox Sports <laughs> who, who says he had the Minka Fitzpatrick going to Pittsburgh story first and says, hey, Jalen Ramsey is signed, still delivered to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm thinking – you guys are quoting this dude yeah. out of nowhere, yeah. PA? Well, one thing I, I would love to get from you guys, and then we'll, we'll sort of wrap up uh, with a couple of good stories. Um, why do you choose stuff? Because, you know, we talk about access and what is truth and all that. But what when you're going to spend a few days, a couple of weeks reporting a story, what does it have? Why do you do it? What interests you? For me, it's irony. I look for irony, something that's unexpected that you wouldn't anticipate this person would be this way. Um, the, I love that from Jeff, uh, be first or be different. It's what is a different way I can romance the stone? How can I turn this around and look at it from a different angle? You know, that's why this last season I tried to stay off Zoom calls. Well, everybody was feasting on Zoom calls after games, but if I wanted to cover a game, uh, say the chart, you know, Justin Herbert's first game for the Chargers. He came in, um, replaced Tyrod Taylor, who had been sidelined and had this great game. Instead of getting on the Justin Herbert 
Zoom call, I was much more interested in calling Dan Fouts, who was a former Chargers player, Hall of Fame player, played at University of Oregon. Former colleague yeah. and really good guy. Played at yeah, Oregon. Dan's a great new guy. Justin yeah. Herbert. Yeah. Tell me about your first game, Dan Fouts, with the, and relate it to what Justin Herbert might be going through. So a, a different, if there's a different way to tell a story, that's what I search for. What about you, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's along the same lines. It's just I have to be moved by it, and I have to feel like no one else has told this story. And, and that, that's really hard to do in today's world because you, there's just – you said it, Ed, there's just too much information. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I live in Kansas City. If I'm going to do a Patrick Mahomes story, it better be the most amazing thing I've ever heard of in my life or I'm not going to do it. And, and I've gotten to the place now where I'd rather do stories – on guys people have never heard of because the story is really good. And I think that's what's, what's gotten lost in, you know, maybe the last five or 10 years is that people it, were so star driven, right. celebrity driven right. that we think if we just put out Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or Brian James, people are going to care about it. And, and still, I think people care about the stories that, that touch them and that they can say they'd never heard before. Uh, I, I did a story recently on a kid from uh, Kansas State who was coming out of uh, school a couple of years ago. He was a lineman and he was open. He actually came out when he was 19, a redshirt freshman, but he was going to his senior year and he was talking about being the first openly gay player drafted in the NFL, um, you know, or to play in the NFL in a regular season game. And so I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. talking to him and, and I was able to go back and find Michael Sam and talk to some guys who'd come out in the NFL more recently about it. And it ended up being a really long story. But it was a story no one had really been t- talking about in the NFL. That this is, you know, since Michael Salmon happened, people had forgotten mm-hmm. about it. But it still was a very, a very big deal. This might happen. It was so. Those stories mean a lot to me because I think that a lot of people today don't pursue them because who's going to care about a twenty-one a, a year old kid from Kansas mm-hmm. State? But yeah, if he's got a great story, funny. it's worth doing. The responsibility of that story is huge, Jeff. What do you do in the process of reporting that, getting the access? What's your ultimate uh, thing you have to do to feel good about being, you know, that close to someone going through something that profound and different than what, you know, you experienced? What's that yeah, responsibility well, I- and how do you how do you stick to the boundaries that are necessary to be honest and forthright and and uh, report it properly? Well, I think, you know, and Sam mentioned this before, all the people around the guys you're trying to get to now to get access to, like living in Kansas City, what helped me was that I've been on local radio here. Um, you know, I've done stuff so people are aware of who I am. So that my reputation preceded me when I reached out to Kansas State about talking to him. And, and so he actually, I don't know if he was thinking about doing a story. He hadn't talked about this since he was 19. But the PR guy who I spoke to said, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of yours. And I think he'd be a good person. For, I think he'd be good for him to talk to someone like you for this. Like he's pretty private, but I think if you come and do it, if you, if you want to come over to campus, we'll get you into a room with him. And typically, you know, I, I won't be too excited about doing a story with PR guys or hanging around, but I felt like this kind of story, it's okay if this guy's here. I just want you to feel comfortable and talk. And we talked for about 45 minutes there and he, he gave me his – his parents' number and, and some other people's numbers. And I kind of just went along my way of talking to people. But yeah, I certainly felt a great sense of responsibility to him and protective of his story. So much so, in fact, that uh, one of our TV producers, feature guys, was trying to get a hold of them to do a, a draft-related story uh, in April. 
and they asked me, hey, can you give me his phone number? And I said, to be honest with you, I really don't want to give you any access to this guy until we write this story. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to make him think we're just going to pimp him out and exploit him. Like, he was already kind of a little bit nervous and anxious about doing this. He's very Yeah, vulnerable. exactly. So I don't want, like, 15 different people calling and do 16 things with him. Like, I want to get this done. And so, actually, I protected him from that um, and mm-hmm. made sure that people didn't get at him until we were done with it. But he was very, he was very open and very vulnerable, and I was very happy with the product Je- I think he Je- was as well. I know he was. Yeah, so have you talked to him? Uh, have you talked to him since and the outcome and how he feels about it? I haven't seen him. He, he, yeah, he didn't get drafted. He didn't get drafted, and I, I haven't been able to catch up to him since then. I don't know what he's doing now. He's uh, One of his best friends was this kid named Dalton Reisner, Reisner who played for the Broncos. He was a second-round pick. Um, but, you know, I, it's, you know I, I felt like that kid was going to be fine even if he didn't play the NFL. I, I think he was just trying to get – Get, get peace with himself about doing this and how far he'd come. And the experience he had in college was so positive that everybody was so supportive of him. He didn't have a negative experience related to, you know, being gay in a college football environment. I, I think he was already super happy with everything that happened up to yeah. that point. Jeff, Jeff raises a really good point in telling that story. And that is, you, as a reporter, you have to play the long game. You might, there might be a... Um, uh, you know, we have the advantage that we're, Jeff and I have established ourselves. Um, sort of this, I, I sound like a boomer here, but this next generation of reporters are scan, a lot of them are scanning the horizon looking for their next job and they don't stay at jobs very long and they're constant. It's the constant try to try to ascend. And some people in, in doing that will burn uh, people to get the home run, to get the one off. Mm-hmm. And get the big story, and then that will foreclose your opportunity on getting even better stories down the road. If you treat people with dignity, with respect, and maybe um, as Jeff let the PR person sit in the room with him on that, um, if if you're deferential a little bit and say, "Listen, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna." not hang this person out to dry. Um, mm. You want to do that because you're a good human being uh, and you have dignity. You want to be able to look yourself in the mirror. But also, pragmatically speaking, if word gets out that you're the type of person who just burns bridges and goes for the big story and and doesn't care who you hurt along the way, uh, that does not bode well for your long-term success in this business. Well, Sam, you and Jeff have certainly shown what long-term success looks like in the business. You can read Sam Farmer's work at the LA Times, latimes.com. He's also on Twitter, at LA Times Farmer. And you can catch Jeff on the NFL Network. He writes for NFL.com. He's also on Twitter, at Jeffrey Chadia. That's J-E-F-F-R-I-C-H-A-D-I-H-A. Thanks, guys. We'll do it again soon. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. You can follow us on social media, mostly on Twitter, at Let's Huddle With. I promise to get better on Facebook and Instagram. You can look up the show on those as well, though not much is happening. If you want to come right to the source, the webpage, go to Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. Scroll through their lineup. Search up Let's Huddle and get to the show's homepage. Reach out. Let us know what you think. Anybody you'd like to hear from, any corrections, we'd love to hear from you. Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated and is edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat, producer Alex Disopoulos, audio engineer Carter, 
Connor Haynes and Cam Rogers help out with marketing. Cam also hosts the show Golf Bets on Us. You can find wherever you find your podcasts. Sort of self-explanatory. My first contact with Team Believe was Bron Husenstein, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.